it's interesting, right? There, there's like, there's a divide between people who see, basically people who see class um, mm-hmm. and people who don't. Uh, yeah. And one thing I've noticed that's really interesting about the, the alt-right and a lot of the sort of woke left is that they conflate racial groups with class groups. This is unacceptable! The biggest name in the podcast game, Ken and Mila. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Unacceptable. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. Uh, I'm here with Jay from Fucking Cancelled. It's a new podcast that is addressing what you think it is, uh, aka uh, sort of uh, cancellation politics on the left, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Uh, Jay's so Jay's a podcaster, writer, shelter worker from Montreal with a background in political anthropology. Uh, they're a member of the Industrial Workers of the World, a couple of 12 step fellowships, and a sludge band. So, we got another musician on the pod. And uh, Jay enjoys long walks on the train tracks and starting shit with haters. And as I said before, they're the co-host of Fucking Cancelled podcast. So how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. I'm, uh, I just got really into online chess, so I've been playing chess all day. Yeah, <laughs> I heard that's been yeah. blowing up since the <laughs> Queen's Gambit came out. Yeah, honestly, it reminded me that I really like playing chess. And then my buddy was like, yeah, I'm... Uh, I've been getting really into this, like these like chess puzzles on chesstempo.com. So I was like, man, I'm checking that out. I'm trying to like get away from doom, doom scrolling all the time, you know? Yeah, that's good. Like, replacing it with like chess has been uh, what I'm up to recently. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so much. I, I play Tetris all the time and I feel like chess would be a better intellectual pursuit. I, <laughs> I used to live, one of my old roommates dated like the second best chess player in the world, Fabiano Caruana. So we had like a poster of him in our apartment and like a, a little like corner for him during the chess, <laughs> the chess championships. So when I watched- Your roommate the- had a poster of their partner? Of their former partner, yeah. Oh, the it, was, partner. Okay. it was like a, a magazine uh, cover of him, of Fabi. And uh, when he was playing Magnus in the in the finals, we were like joking about making it a, a shrine to to wish him luck. Uh, obviously, it didn't didn't work, didn't pan out. Amazing. But <laughs> um, so you recently. I guess somewhat recently you did this uh, study on the alt-right in Montreal. And I think a lot of times in the media, when we think about the alt-right, we think about the U.S. So I think it's really interesting that you did the study in Montreal. Um, having lived there for five and a half years of my life, I think I definitely saw it had a sort of idiosyncratic right-wing politic. Um, so what made you decide to do this sort of study and what do you think was your key takeaways from it? Yeah, well, so I was doing um, my master's degree in uh, anthropology at Concordia here in Montreal. And uh, originally my study was going to be about um, the sort of the rise of like online male supremacism um, along the lines of like the red pill and the insult movement and uh, pickup artists and this kind of thing. And um, I got in touch with this guy who 
for sort of unrelated reasons. Like I, I had like some contact information for him and I knew that he ran this kind of like a right wing, like men's group kind of thing in Montreal. And I was intending on getting in touch with him as a sort of preliminary research, like before I even started my actual like thesis or anything. Right. Um, and he was like, Oh, that group no longer exists. And I was like, okay, what happened? And he was like, well, it transitioned into an alt-right group. Um, and I was like, huh, uh, interesting. And I, I was just like, well, I don't know. Could I, could I do research with your group? Like just on a kind of on a, I just, just asked to see if he would say yes, you know, I didn't expect him to. And then he was actually kind of amenable to it. Um, and so I jumped on it. Like it's uh, really hard for academics to gain access to groups like this. Usually um, they tend, they tend to be really, really skeptical of uh, academics and, and quite secretive. And, um, and so for some reason, this guy was into it. I think it was because uh, the alt-right was kind of on the up and up at that moment. And there was um, in like 2016, and uh, 2017, and there was like this, I don't know, they were, I think they were feeling pretty uh, optimistic about the movement, you know? And I basically sold myself as an, uh, an academic who was, uh, you know, I was like, you know, all these journalists who write these op-eds about the alt-right or whatever, um, none of them do any like real research, right? Like they just kind of pop in, like they look at some stuff on the internet and they don't actually like tell the world what you're really about, you know, but like, I'm an anthropologist, which means I'm going to do like field work with you, which means I'm going to get to know uh, your politics for real. And, um, and I sort of also sold myself as being somewhat on their team, right? Mm -hmm. um, for the record, I'm super, super, super not on their team. <laughs> you're canceled. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's how I, I kind of came to be doing that research. Um, and I mean, I, I have a lot of takeaways. I, I wrote a 300 page book about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the main things that I took away was that the alt-right and the far right in general is like very fragmented. Um, they do not have like a unified position about anything. Um, they fight almost as much as the left does, maybe more. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, they sound like the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Often about the same things, you know, they'll be like that guy, you know, he's like soft on the trans question or like whatever, you know, it's like they're kind of like concerned about a lot of the same issues because really it's just a kind of like reverse identity politics, um, identity politics for straight white men, you know? Um, yeah, that's yeah. what I've seen. It seems to me like there is an identity, like the divide nowadays is kind of between materialists and like identity people whether that's on the right or on the left and so you have um, identitarians on both the right and the left that kind of view people's self-identification with with something or with an identity or, or something like that as the sort of primary basis for their politics and then you have people who are more materialist about it and tend to look at production um, which is mostly on the left but I have seen a little bit of right populism as well in that respect yeah absolutely i think that's totally true um and i think that there's a it, it's interesting right there there's like there's a divide between people who see basically people who see class um mm -hmm. and people who don't uh yeah. and one thing i've noticed that's really interesting about the the alt-right and a lot of the sort of woke left is that they conflate racial groups with class groups Mm -hmm. um in different ways sometimes in the same ways actually <laughs> um, 
but uh yeah like you know instead of instead of like seeing capital capitalists as as a an, a class that is you know hoarding wealth and controlling the economy um they substitute jews um right and on the woke left a lot of the time i mean they they barely talk about class but when they do they have this idea that like there's like a white oppressor class mm -hmm. um but economically right as if like all white people sort of have the same level of access to wealth and then they posit black and brown people as like the class below them um mm -hmm. which is also just like out of touch with uh, the economic realities of north america you know yeah i mean i joke that like you know there's under this logic you would say that like a poor person in like rural canada who's white is uh has it better than Mohammed bin salman of saudi arabia um it, it's kind of like an incoherent sort of framework but i definitely do see the sort of overlap um or similarities but i i, I kind of tend to think that like identitarian left and or woke left and the alt-right tend to feed off of each other a little bit uh especially in the media because the alt-right will do something that like say trolls the media and then liberal or woke media will have something to write about and sensationalize about and then the alt-right gets publicity in that respect and so it seems to be a sort of self perpetuating <laughs> or like a mutual benef mutually beneficial uh relationship um there's this really funny video and it was like about uh, the, the two characters are a woke guy and a racist guy like a far right guy and they're both like getting along really well oh because... they just agree on everything yeah I yeah <laughs> And I think in a sense, it's true. I, I mean, both have a sort of essentialist perspective on identity. Um, they have a really similar worldview. Yeah, which you know? is kind of crazy. And, yeah, and I've noticed, like, after after like immersing myself in all this alt-right shit um, and then exiting it, I mean, that sounded weird. I was never, like, part of the alt-right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, I was, like, infiltrating a group. But um yeah after exiting i i started realizing that a lot of the stuff that i was hearing from the woke left was like literally indistinguishable from stuff that i had heard in the alt-right and it's it's weird and scary you know um and i think a lot of people don't don't realize that um i'm trying to think of like good examples but like even like uh rhetoric around um the colonization of north america um mm -hmm. can often be like literally exactly the same rhetoric where you know, the woke left will be like, uh, you know, this land was like, was like conquered by force, you know, and the, the far right will be like, this land was conquered by force. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And they both kind of undermine the active sort of resistance to colonization that was taking place, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, the fact that like, um, you know, both the, the woke left and the alt-right really like to act as though all, well, let's just say like, this applies to other racial groups in different ways, but like all white people have a sort of like white racial essence, right? Um, mm -hmm. That makes them sort of like uh, violent conquerors who are very good at like controlling other people and who have like an innate um, uh, loyalty to their racial group, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, there was um some museum 
graphic I saw I think they took it down but it was saying like uh it was it was saying like white culture versus POC culture and like I think part of it was supposed I seen to that. Be, yeah, yeah. yeah and then like for the white culture it was saying like pro-science like everything is logical and rational, rational thought. Linear thought. Time. and I'm like isn't that like kind of racist like super fucking racist, yeah. <laughs> super fucking racist. Um, I'm like all the classical civilizations would like to have a word with you yeah like people invented rational thought in linear time you know <laughs> or like the concept of hard work like it's super fucking racist yeah have a little <laughs> i think it's also just so incoherent to people who like actually come from these places and uh they're exposed to this sort of essentializing rhetoric i think it's very strange it's, it seems to be like a very much a, a a phenomenon of like self-flagellating liberals here or self-flagellating leftists here um so speaking on that topic i i wonder like if you could speak to maybe i i, I was thinking about um the book kill all normies by angela nagel i don't know if you've uh, come across it but she kind of talks about how the uh some of the conduct of the left has fed into the the crystallizing of the alt-right and how it's been like how uh people can get pushed into right-wing radicalization and this has been kind of a controversial thesis um because i think a lot of people tend to not like the idea of some like it being the left's fault for instance uh in any sort of respect so did you observe any sort of um like anything that could maybe speak to that at all yeah it's interesting um i have to confess i haven't read kill all normies um it came out almost exactly the same time i was finishing up my thesis and i i was just like i actually don't want to sort of like i don't know like contaminate my my right. thinking with like this this book that's like a big deal or whatever and then i never got around to reading it although like i know what the what the thesis of the book is you know i've, I've heard a lot about it mm -hmm. um yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting and and difficult question. I, I definitely think that the the far right is constantly reacting to things that the the left is doing or the things that the liberals are doing. Um, yeah. um, often I notice that like what I would consider to be like the sort of true left, um, like just sort of like materialist socialism. Um, the alt right men that I was talking to had almost no awareness of it. Um, their conception of the left was really like the woke left. Um, oh, yeah. And and so like, yeah. And then weirdly, like a couple of th these guys, and this is gonna sound weird too, but a couple of these guys were more likable than others, right? Like right. in any group of people, you're gonna find people who are a bit, you know, less fucked up. A lot of them were quite fucked up, but there was a couple who were more likable. Um, and they tended to be ones who described themselves overtly as, as fascists. Um, and they tended to be a lot more materialist in their conception of like the economy. Um, and they tended to have views that I was like, this person like could be a socialist, like if they knew what fucking socialism was, you know? Um, right. And they're like wacky theories about race are like very easily disproved um, and don't really jive well with their materialist conception of the world anyway. Um, and like, I think that they might be able to be like uh to be won over you know there was one guy who was really adamant that he like wasn't a racist um even though he was like in a white supremacist fascist organization 
Um, but that, I mean, that was really interesting to me, you know, cause he was like, you know, I have like friends who are black and like all this kind of thing. Um, but he was also like, yeah, like it's not like racist to want Canadians to have like good jobs or something like that. And I was like, I mean, right. you're not wrong. Like, yeah. you know, but there's the, why are you in a Nazi group then? Um, and so there's that element to it. Another element is that a lot of the things that the alt-right is really into um, are really just like, well, and I'm talking about their, let's say their like substantive policies or politics, like rather than their reactive ones. So not the stuff that they're angry about, but the stuff that they want um, is just uh, mainstream Canadian politics from like, like 50 to 100 years ago, like depending on the policy, you know? And this is something that people kind of tend to forget, um, which is that, yeah, like until relatively recently, like within like living memory, like Canada had a, an overtly white supremacist immigration policy, for example, and they want to return to that. You know, um, you know, Canada was uh, had like a racist policy towards indigenous people, and they wanted to return to that too. Um, and and there's a lot of like elements of their policies that are are just like they just want to return to a time that wasn't even that fucking long ago, right? So the degree to which like the woke left is sort of like uh, pushing them there, I think it's like mm, like kind of negligible. You know what I mean? Like those views are not new, right? And they're not imported from Nazi Germany either. Um, they're, yeah. they're they're Canadian. They're right? very distinctly Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just like to add to that super quickly, um, one thing that I was fascinated by is that a lot of them were quite pro-immigration, um, but they were pro like white immigration, right? And we often think of like being a like a pro-immigration stance as being kind of incompatible with, with a right-wing stance or a racist stance, but Canada until very recently was like a a country that took in, well, it's always taken in like huge numbers of immigrants, like since since the beginning, like enormous numbers of immigrants, right? But until recently, they were all white, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, something I wonder about as well is like, obviously, the time period that p these people wish to return to is not a time period they were around for. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that it's like there's a sort of nostalgia that's very easy to, to hang on to because you've never actually seen it for yourself. And it kind of also makes me think about like the decline of religion and religious community, um, which I mean, I'm not religious, but it seems to be that you know, people are seeking something that resembles that and that can give them an ideal that they want to strive for in the same way that religion gives you this like abstract metaphysical ideal. And so I think, you know, both like the woke left and the alt-right tend to treat politics as a sort of support group in mm -hmm. a way that is a stand-in for religion. Um, doesn't mean that they're necessarily worshiping something but I think there's a sort of loss of uh, community towards a common goal and it's very easy to say that your common goal is something that you that's like come and gone for instance if it's because it's so abstract to you it's like you know it's nostalgic and similarly it's easy to um, I think a lot of the utopian left um like the ones that denounce actually existing socialism in in favor of some sort of anarchist utopia also kind of have this 
uh, abstract ideal that they have to dream about and like think about communally with their fellow people as well. So I think yeah, that's- Yeah, cool. I mean, I, um, a whole chapter of my thesis is sort of on this topic actually, like where I think that <laughs> capitalism, like late capitalism, is is speeding for like multiple crises at the same time you know mm -hmm. um and there's like the the crisis of overproduction that will you know continuously throw up um depressions and recessions um and possibly grind capitalism to a halt at some point but there's also the the crisis of like underproduction which can take place when um capital uh exhausts natural resources um, and can no longer use them, can no longer extract them because they don't exist anymore, like if we run out of topsoil or something. But there's this other crisis that I think is is coming to a head, um, and it's a crisis of alienation. And I really think that like the sort of like end result of capitalism that we're hurtling towards, this like apotheosis of of fucking neoliberalism, um, creates a scenario where people are so fucking miserable and so exhausted with what's going on around them that like they're obviously searching for a way out of that you know and in my thesis I talk about being like a millennial and like looking around and being like um the planet is fucked like within my life maybe there's going to be like no more bees maybe there's going to be no more topsoil on the prairies maybe there's going to be you know, mass, um, um, like wildlife extinctions. Well, there are, it's not a maybe they're happening, they're actually occurring, right? Um, it's really difficult to know what to do about that, if there's anything to do about that. Um, and that's something that we live with um, in the back of our heads, because I think looking at it um, straight on is like so devastating that a lot of us never think about it very much. Um, and I think that that like background agony um is really painful and and at the same time there's all these other factors going on like the fact that it's very clear to anyone who looks that like our democracy um is not participatory in the slightest and we have no no political voice whatsoever um that our economic system is so ingrained it just cannot be changed like there's no way to change it short of a revolution that doesn't seem like it's coming um and there's like a tiny class of people who control everything who are just getting more and more powerful um, with, with you know, technology that is um, adding to their power and the financialization of the economy that's adding to their power as well. And it's very, very fucking grim. Um, and at the same time, we're all more and more lonely, more and more isolated from one another. Um, we have less and less structure in our life along the lines of religion, um, but also along the lines of like family, mm -hmm. um, like the nuclear, like, you know, the extended family gave way to the nuclear family and the nuclear family collapsed. And um, I'm not saying that we should go back to forcing people to participate in um, sort of traditional family structures, but it hasn't been replaced with anything. Um, yeah. And we're just alone, basically. Um, and more and more of our interactions are mediated by technology. And all of that is creating a, a situation where it is totally not crazy for people to become radicals. Um, people want to find a way out and they don't trust uh, democracy anymore. Why would they? Um, liberal democracy, right? And a lot of people in, in, in political science define like a, 
radical or like a um, an extremist as someone who you know opposes liberal democracy in some way. Um, and so, you know, the idea that the far right is a bunch of crazy people, um, I don't think is accurate. They're not crazy, um, and it makes sense that they are extremists. You know, I really, really, really don't agree with what they think, um, and I think that it should be fought. I think it's very, very dangerous. Um, and whatever, like no, no quarter should be given, you know, um, to their ideas because they're disgusting. Um, but it, it is not a mystery why people are turning to this kind of thing and why I, I am also an extremist, you know, I'm, I'm a socialist. Um, I, I have strong anarchist leanings. Um, but I think I got sick of, uh, I got sick of the utopianism basically. Um, I had a similar experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now I'm just kind of like a, a a pragmatic pan-socialist I'm like anything that gets us closer to like socializing the means of production is good by me yeah. um yeah yeah I think you know there's a few things is is I I think that one kind of feature I've noticed with a lot of the right more broadly um not so much with the traditional like neocon right because I think now they're kind of more similar to liberals than anything um but the all some of the alt-right or some of the sort of anti-establishment right to, so to speak is I think you know they sometimes have a uh in some ways like they they point out a problem that the left might point could point out easily as well but the both the rationalization of the problem and the solution uh i think are incorrect and oh, yeah. so um you know this blaming of uh like when they talk about the elites um it's not a sort of ideological hegemony of uh like trans people or like gay people or whoever or black people or whoever else they uh seem to see in this sort of group it's it's uh people who are fundamentally dominating through capital and who will use rationalizing cultural trends uh to back that up um and so like yeah, I, I wonder why, I mean, the, there has to be some sort of explanation for the identitarianism. Obviously, it could just be that they're not like full out materialists. It could just be, um, I think a lot of identitarianism, regardless of where uh, on the political spectrum you are, probably comes from what you were saying, like a loss of community. Um, and I also, I don't know, I, I think that, like, I, I wonder if it's worth it to say there's been talk of a realignment or like reaching across the aisle and trying to build a coalition uh, with these kinds of people. Um, what, are your, what do you think about that? If, if we should be trying to build coalitions with the far right? Yeah, or like if we should try and like convert them or like you know be like hey maybe you're not pointing out the correct uh rationale or because I feel like some people it's like if you talk to anyone at all then it's like how dare you 
right, right. Um, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, waste your breath um, trying to convert too many far right extremists. Uh, there are a tiny number of people, first of all. Um, some of them might come over, um, but I don't know if it's a if it's the best use of anyone's time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to do though. Uh, right. Talking to these people, like maybe depending on the person. Um, mm-hmm. But some of them are, are way more susceptible to others. Uh, some of them are less far on than others, you know. Um, I do think like, I don't know. We, I think a lot of people, identity is really important to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Really, really important to a lot of people, and that's why identitarianism is uh, like why people are susceptible to it. You know, um, I think that for a lot of people, like they, however, are not going to like live their whole lives and define their entire being through some kind of extremist identitarianism. Um, and it's really just like it's it's pretty fringe. I mean, like. Identitarianism is moving into, like left identitarianism is moving into the mainstream and forms of right identitarianism have been mainstream for a long time. Um, but, you know, most ordinary people can see that it's crazy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. I, I think that we, we, we would do better talk, talking to them, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that most ordinary people uh, support a lot of leftist programs. Um, but look at the modern woke left and are like, no, thank you. Um, yeah. Crazy, you know, um, and the same people, they look at the, the far right too. And they're like, no, you want to kill my friends and family? Like, that's not, <laughs> like, you know? Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, this is what I've been observing a lot. And I, especially when I talk to family members who like grew up, um, like I was talking to my grandparents on the weekend and they were like conservative party supporters. But when I brought up like left economic policies that uh, without calling them socialism, they were very like, you know, oh, okay. Like, yeah, that sounds great. Cause they were saying like, you know the cost of living here is so expensive. I said, well, you know, in Montreal I paid like 400 a month in rent and there's rent control there where there's like a cap of how much uh you can charge to rent like I put it very simply they're like oh why don't we have that here and so it's just kind of like you know if you put it in that way without being like yeah grandma I want to smash the state like or you know like something like that where it's very off-putting and similarly a lot of identitarianism is just off-putting to people especially just the way that it's put I think a lot of the time like because sure, if you're like we want to abolish heterosexuality people are like what you know yeah, <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like I think you know what people think that it means in the academic context is not what everyday people take it to mean and then you're just kind of like oh my god why don't they like if they like if you say abolish heterosexuality, abolish whiteness, whatever, all of these terms, without clarifying it, the average person is going to think that you're being hostile to to them if they identify with that. So I think that's just like 
that's been a sort of unfavorable strategy. Whereas you're right, I think a lot of left policies would be appealing to people. I don't think people like, like, you know, in, in Vancouver here, we just, just in the middle of a pandemic, increased spending on the police by millions of dollars. Yo, too, just, man. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, you know, even like my conservative grandparents were like, what are they doing? Like, we already pay so much in taxes and we're getting nothing from it. You know, like the elderly are getting nothing from it. Uh, people want cash relief during a pandemic. They're not getting that. Um, yeah. And, you know, instead, uh, on the flip side, you know, in BC, we just had the BC Human Rights Commission spend a ton of money on these bus stop ads that just say, am I racist? And like, it's people are, yeah. And it's like, you know, people are, are mad. Uh, first of all, like, I don't, this is kind of what I mean when I say like pushing people into the right, like they're obviously they're still part of the right, but I think it just, it fuels them up when they see this sort of thing. And part of it is because, you know, maybe they do feel like ideologically at odds with it too, but it's also yeah. like, it's insulting. Like it's degrading to everybody to be like, yeah, this and, is the money I'm going to spend. And also like um, when people, you know, let's see, somebody sees that um, they don't have like the, uh, the like woke studies degree to like interpret it. Um, and so they're like, okay, well, I feel offended by this. I'm not fucking racist. Like, I have always been very against racism. I think racism is bad and disgusting. So why is the government calling me a fucking racist? Like, what the hell is yeah. going on? Um, well, I told them to do their job. Because it's <laughs> like, like, you guys are the ones with the power. Like, the average citizen does not have the power. You guys have the power to go and help all of these homeless Indigenous people. Uh and like yeah. actually give, again, give people cash relief during the pandemic. And it's like, you're, what do you do? It, you know, we're having like an overdose crisis here. Again, disproportionately yeah. impacts yeah. racialized people. It's like, what are you doing? You're yeah. making a bus stop ad that tells people to like ins look inside themselves and see if they're racist. Yeah, it's for sure, man, because it means the, the it, it means the fucking state doesn't actually have to address any of the causes of inequality. Yeah. They're just like, oh, like uh, all these like random like working and middle class white people have to, I don't know, like read some book by another white person about white fragility and, and like work <laughs> on their own shit or whatever. And that's definitely gonna solve uh like social inequality. Like it's fucking absurd. It's so fucking ridiculous, man. That's not where social inequality springs from. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot, like most people recognize that, you know, they think it's, it's stupid and, and, and they're offended by it. And, and when they look around, um, the only people who are sort of like speaking out against it are on the right. And so that's yeah. why they gravitate, that's why they gravitate to, to the right, you know, and, um, or that's one of the reasons. And I think that one of the things that I will say the left has, um, like, where, where the left has like really, um, sped along this process is that we have not uh staked out a space on the left that is critical of this kind of thing enough you know mm. and i really think that we need like a green populist left that is um that that is not identitarian like this mm -hmm. you know that that isn't wedded to these ideas that most people find like really distasteful and offensive um, and that are like just incoherent if you look at them for like five fucking seconds, you know? Um, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, also, I, I think this is, a, there's a sort of, when we say the left, it's not even the global left. It's like, this is a very like US, Canada, maybe mm. UK phenomenon where like this is what the left is you know if you look at the left in like latin america it's it's not like this at all it's actually you know there are socially conservative people on uh, that are communists and like they're allowed to be um and there's like there's that component and I'm like kind of losing my train of thought but because I'm very sleep deprived but I, I do think that um it's not even a global left thing okay so like I think one thing that's happened is that you know the left here has kind of lost touch with the like the universalism that other leftists yes. have um they've completely abandoned (laughs) yeah so i think you know like socialist movement used to be about you know universal access to what we are owed and to what we have the right to demand right like it's like a universal access to healthcare, universal uh education let's say um it's not means testing you to see like how many oppression points you have you don't need to write a college admissions essay uh to receive whatever benefits you might be entitled to no it's land bread and housing yeah exactly and so you know I think we've kind of lost touch of that here and a part of me kind of wonders if that is partly synthetic in the sense that like post-cold war or like during the cold war there were like deliberate uh infiltrations and attempts to undermine like universalist socialism and instead have this sort of more postmodern outlook where it's like no no there's not a ruling class that's oppressing the like everyone else we're all oppressing each other by taking part in this like discursive whatever you want to call it um and I mean not to be like it's all an op but it does create a kind of controlled opposition where like for instance you know you don't have feminists demanding universal housing so to prevent say like or to help people escape domestic violence situations you have feminists uh talking about their nipples or like whatever whatever else you want to do yes um and i like it almost just seems like a very convenient opposition because it's pretty fucking convenient isn't it yeah dangerous thing to the ruling order it's Mm -hmm. a materialist socialist movement that has any kind of power and is any kind of organized you know like you'll find ruling class people constantly saying that like you know they support like this or that identitarian movement because it doesn't fucking change anything for them it's very easy for them to do that right but you will never ever ever find them saying we need more representation for working class people in parliament yeah you you will never find them saying uh workers should like you know they're always like we need more like um like you know people in the board who are like uh queer or like women or whatever but they're never going to say we need workers on the board yeah never would they say that right and like i don't know honestly like i don't understand how any anyone can like look at this and not see exactly what the fuck is going on you know but um they don't you know and and instead like there's whatever yeah they're just intense intense um 
just clinging to identitarianism is, is just wild to me. Like uh, recently, like we did a, we did an episode on eco-socialism and um, somebody messaged uh, one of us and, and was just like, yeah, like I really think that eco-socialism um, it's kind of like a white thing, you know, and like we should be, uh, we should be asking, we should be following the lead of indigenous people on, on what to do in these lands, you know, and I'm just like, you're deluding yourself if you think that quote unquote indigenous people across an entire continent, which constitutes like hundreds of nations, thousands, yeah. um, have like a unified view on what to do with the land. Um, and you're delusional if you think that uh, the the ruling segment of that population, because they're also stratified by class and status, like everybody else, um, don't have interests that in some cases align with global capital, right? And like the whole thing with like the Witsuitan, like the fucking elected chiefs okayed the pipeline. Yeah. It was yeah. the hereditary chiefs that didn't want it. That's a power struggle within one community, you know? And mm -hmm. people just being like, we stand with like the indigenous people in this matter. I'm like, well, which ones? You can't yeah. just like pass the buck and be like, oh, we're not gonna actually do any like hard thinking or like asking questions or like figure out what we actually think about anything. We're just gonna like pass it off to these people who we like sort of passively see as like, I don't know, like magical noble savage types, you know? It's yeah. really fucking offensive and, and lazy. And mm -hmm. in my opinion, super fucking racist um, yeah. because you really think that, that this enormous, really diverse group of people um, somehow has like a mystical connection to uh like nature and understands like like if you just like pick a random indigenous person off the street they're going to be able to sort of like tell you what to do to save the world it's like you think of them as like like fairies or like i don't know what the fuck you think but it's fucked up whatever it is you know um and i understand the sentiment it's just that like it's just like they haven't these people haven't thought through it more than like for more than like two minutes you know um yeah it is bit of a rant but I'm, I'm no no it's 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 very condescending and I think it's something I've seen a lot in discourses on international uh on the international scale particularly with respect to imperialism so I mean when I was at McGill I remember there was um the the daily wrote some uh column about uh, how we shouldn't there shouldn't be intervention in venezuela it was called hands off venezuela um which i think is a pretty standard like traditionally left position you know not to disrespect the sovereignty of another country um but we there were people who were then like how dare they they must retract this because they're undermining our lived experiences as like latin americans who are like who want to overthrow this government and whatever right. and it's like listen to latin americans but it's again it's like which ones like you think that and it's almost like ironically racist to assume that an entire population of people has a uniform opinion on what should be done about their government. Um, For sure, like Adolf Reed Jr. talks about this all the time, right? Where he's like, uh, you know, like white people get to have like liberals and conservatives and communists and anarchists, yeah. and then, like black people get to just have black politics or like the black view or whatever it is on any given issue. And he's like, that's, uh, I don't like that at all. You know, like why don't black people get to have um, differences of opinion, you know? And this applies to like all these different identitarian groups that identitarians are constantly pretending have the same fucking view on everything and it's crazy it doesn't make any sense <laughs> it's not true, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. Like I, so I recently read a book called Invisible Woman, and uh, she was uh, slamming Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders said it's not enough uh, to say I'm a woman, vote for me. And she was like, actually, yeah, it is uh, because like women need their interests represented in government and again my point is which women like you can't just say we had a whole thing about that it was called like third wave feminism you know uh yeah i know so i think there's definitely uh there's definitely a problem there i i don't really know what the the solution is because i think that there are actively forces that are trying to undermine what could be a real left politic. And I don't necessarily think it is the all right so much as it is like just ruling elites, regardless of their personal beliefs that just don't want an opposition to like a, a proper opposition to materialize. They want some flimsy uh, culture war between like liberals and alt-writers or woke, woke uh, identitarians and alt-writers and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I don't know how much of it is like an op, but it's definitely, it definitely serves them very well. Um, yeah, it feels like an op. I hate saying it, but like, I'm always like, damn, like, this is awfully suspicious. Awfully <laughs> <laughs> fucking convenient, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... for sure. And and I mean, I think, like, to return to my thesis for a second, like, one of the things that I sort of concluded was that I don't think that the alt-right is actually, like, a serious danger in any way to, um, like, I don't think that they're going to, like, overthrow the state. I don't yeah. think that they're going to, like, seize control of anything. Um, but that being said, I think that, like, factions within the ruling class would be very happy to use alt-right uh, talking points if it serves them. Yeah. You know, just like factions within the ruling class are very happy to use woke left talking points if it serves them. Yeah, I think it really depends on like also which constituency you want to manipulate at the time. Um, if you're run where you're running, maybe if you're running in Alberta, you want to manipulate the alt-right talking points. Maybe if you're uh, where I'm at in Vancouver, you might want to uh, use some whatever woke frameworks and, and what, or like, you know, even like woke environmentalist frameworks here are very popular as well. And I think that's another thing that like makes people upset. Um, and, and then like the, the conservatives will end up leveraging their, um, you know their their points against them so like the carbon tax is a huge one where it's kind of like people are mad because it's like you're offloading the responsibility of like all of these major corporations and militaries who are polluting onto the average consumer um i think yeah i don't know i i wonder also because i i feel like the alt-right tends to talk a lot about the media and fake news and so on. <laughs> um, I wonder like if you could speak to any observations on that and how maybe like the media has played a role in either like feeding the alt-right or just in its rise in general. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because the, I mean, the media is 
fucking fake news yeah it's whatever it's like fucking made up man like uh, i mean i'll take a step back like it's not like they're like literally making up facts all the time but it's (laughs) it's totally fucking it's one point of view right it's it's a, a liberal point of view like at all times including like fox news that's i include that within liberalism it's like uh it's a form of like ca- like capital l liberalism or whatever um or sorry small l liberalism yeah um but uh yeah i mean i don't know I, the alt-right has been has uh, manipulated the media really effectively that's been funny um in a <laughs> in a scary kind of way you know um like when they they convinced everyone that like taylor swift was a secret nazi um, oh and the media just like ran with it um be like is taylor swift a nazi you know and and it was like it was literally just to, like make the media look ridiculous and also to get the name like alt-right in the news you know um, yeah which they succeeded at right um and they've done a bunch of shit like this uh they just like make like outlandish claims to the media and the media like reports it because they're fucking credulous and they want <laughs> hits um and they don't investigate anything because there's no fucking journalists left um and and it's like yeah they manipulate they manipulate it really easily they're very good propagandists in a lot of ways uh the alt-right guys you know um i mean another like good propaganda thing they did was the whole fucking um it's okay to be white posters yeah um, put up on like university campuses and stuff because then like you know then like you were saying like how the the wokes and the the alt-right like play off each other because then the woke people like no it's not okay to be white you know (laughs) everyone's like wait what yeah Um, either way it's a losing battle well it's it's, you know you put a trivial phrase up (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah so i mean they're they've been good at manipulating the media um i think like this is like a little bit off topic from your question but i i wrote about it a bunch of my thesis so i might as well talk about it um one of the one of their strategies propaganda wise uh, was carried out by the daily stormer which was this uh their like major alt-right publication right i think it might be still going but they had a lot of trouble finding servers for a while um because they're like explicitly nazi right the daily yeah yeah okay um and like for reference the group that i was like doing field work with like they were they were like neo-nazis okay so they were like legit like on because you know how some of them like they're not explicit about it or they might still be like oh we're not actually nazis we're just white For sure. so so, so here's the thing right within the alt-right proper and i'm not talking about what they call the alt-light which is sort of like milo yiannopoulos and these kind of mm-hmm. people who are like um whatever like a bit less like intense in their views or whatever but within the alt-right proper there's a, a strategic split um, between people who want to so uh quote-unquote hide your power level and sort of like infiltrate stuff and like um uh, use respectability politics to um, appear well respectable, right? Um, between those people and the other people who are the Daily Stormer types, who what they want to do is say the most outrageous shit that they can um, and make it funny um, in order to push the Overton window as far as they possibly can to the right. Um, and if they're like, if we just like openly talk about like, you know, like gassing the Jews and and make it like just make jokes about it, like really heinous fucked up shit like that um or like write articles about well whatever i mean honestly like the worst nazi shit you can imagine like that's what they're writing articles about i'm not gonna like go into detail um but like even more over the top than you can imagine you know um if they're like if we do that then like any more moderate thing we say will immediately appear more moderate you know 
Um, and, and that way we can really, really shove the window to the right. And I think that's a brilliant propaganda tactic. Um, mm -hmm. Honestly, I do. I think that like strategically, it's a good idea. And since they are engaged in a culture war, they, they recognize that, well, many of them recognize that they have no capacity to like overthrow the state or anything like that. So they're kind of right-wing Gramsciists where they're like politics is downstream of culture. We need to change culture that changes politics, you know? Um, and so it is a big strategic split within the alt-right. A lot of people um, really didn't agree with the like Daily Stormer tactics. They thought it, it made them, it made the alt-right look kind of like um, crazy or like not respectable or like it, it played their hands too much, you know? Um, and there was one guy in the group who was like a big propagandist and he wrote a lot of stuff. Uh, he wrote for the Daily Stormer. Um, he was a, like a big deal in the alt-right. And um, there was a bit of a, yeah, definitely a bit of a split between him and like this, this other character who was uh, a lot more like um, uh, moderate, at least in public. He never used slurs. Um, he was always careful to be very sort of like weirdly polite in how he talked about like different ethnic groups and stuff like that. Um, and he was very much sort of like, listen, yeah, like Canada's diverse. Uh, we get it. It's diverse. That's fine. But uh, does it have to be more diverse? Maybe you could stop being diverse so much. You know? Right. Like that's yeah. how he would talk about things. Um, and that was not a um, a conflict that was resolved while I was while I was part of the group. You know, um, I also think interestingly that lined up with a split in the alt right, another split in the alt right between more liberal factions and more fascist factions. And the more fascist factions were very much on this like push everything to the right accelerationist kind of view. And then the more liberal factions, um, and I say liberal in the sense of like, they want to like retain a liberal democracy, right? Mm -hmm. They just want it okay. to be the kind of liberal democracy that existed here a hundred years ago. Um, and it was still a liberal democracy. You know, we had a parliament, we had rule of law, we had like laws protecting people's property rights and all this kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. It was democracy, people could vote, uh, but it was very, very white. Um, and explicitly a kind of like colonial uh, enterprise, right? Um, and they want to kind of return to that um, and, and they want to be respectable about it, right? Um, and they're sort of like, yes, well, you know, uh, killing everyone would be very like messy. Um, so maybe we could just pay people to go back where they come from or whatever, you know? And it's the, <laughs> it's the sort of more like moderate Nazi take on things. Right. Um, yeah. But it is a split, right? And that split was never resolved. And I don't know, in, in my thesis, I talk about it as um, these two stances being intention with one another but they're in a dialogue with one another um and I, I explicitly use a dialogue instead of a dialectic because i think that they're different because there was no synthesis that was ever being created in the group that i was part of but right. the different sort of streams were constantly like borrowing positions from each other um and so in some ways you would you would see what they were talking about and you're like that's kind of incoherent until you realize that they've just borrowed like a liberal position about like say like uh freedom of speech because they're mad about being censored or something and then like grafting it onto like a nazi position like a fascist position i should say that like obviously doesn't care about freedom of speech like hitler was like completely uninterested in like liberal um, <laughs> yeah. rights of freedom of speech right um or you know i met like people in the group who openly describe themselves as racist liberals um <laughs> interesting who, who are basically like fascism is just like a sword you you take it out you use it you put it back you know um and, and I was like, I don't know if uh, <laughs> that's what fascists think, but you know, um, yeah. So there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of contradictions within within the far right and within the alt right. Um, yeah. and strategy is definitely one of them, and how to engage with the media is one of them too. Like there there wasn't a unified position on that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean that makes sense. I think you know, it's it, it makes sense that just like 
the left would be divided, the right would be just as divided as well. Um, and, you know, I think the free speech thing is very interesting. Um, I almost wonder if it's also a kind of longing for something that was uh, in the sense that I think now like the exercises of authoritarianism come less so from the government and more so from like large tech companies, for instance. Um, and I mean, I've been saying this before, but I think like our models of what fascism uh, or not necessarily fascism, but authoritarianism and totalitarianism to the extent that that's a useful term. Um, what they are in the 20th century versus the 21st century. And I think a lot of people are stuck in the 20th century mindset where they view authoritarianism as like the government saying what you're not allowed to say. And I, I've kind of noticed that a lot of fights on the free speech front uh, have unfortunately been taken up by the right now because it's been a matter of like, you know, okay, well, we want to have the right to say this shit on Twitter. I don't know, like, I can't think of a specific example. Um, but yeah, whereas like, yeah. I think, you know, the, the free speech debate, which started off from the left um, is not, is now like, you know, it's not brought up as much on, on the left. And I think, you know, part of it, I think partly we're kind of making a mistake um, in the sense that I don't think we should celebrate these like big Silicon Valley companies like taking up our fight. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a huge mistake. And, and it, like big chunks of the left are like openly against the concept of free speech right now. Yeah. Um, th like openly, you know, like they admit it. They, they think that it's a bad thing, you know? Um, which I find really disturbing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that like, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm Canadian. So I have like a, some sort of like inbuilt um, like politeness or something where I'm like, some things just are a bit too far, you know? And so like, I'm, not, I'm not like, a, I'm not like a, a really intense free speech absolutist, but I, I'm, I'm close, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, I believe in like punching the occasional Nazi if you need to, but I definitely don't think that like um, letting giant tech corporations run by like a global ruling elite um, decide what can and cannot be said is a good idea. They yeah. will use it against socialists. Like, there, it's not, it's not a question. Like, it will happen. It is happening. It is, um, yeah. yeah. And was, like yeah. the minute you say anything that actually like threatens anything at all, they will fucking censor you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like the fact that they're not fucking censoring you means that you're not saying anything that matters, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing that it's, it's a sort of thesis I've been playing around with a little bit. And I think, you know, um, part of the sort of another kind of shared politic that I've noticed with identitarians right and left is this sort of, I'm like, I, I'm victimized, therefore I am kind of thing. 
um, where, you know, it's almost good to seem like you're being censored because then it makes it seem like what you're saying is worth, worth its salt. Um, (laughs) and, and so, I mean, this act of censoring these people on the right, I think is emboldening to them. Um, and they know how to play off of that. there, there, there is there is some of that for sure i mean another thing too though is that like i'm like why like okay i understand sort of like i don't know uh de-platforming like literal like neo-nazis right like that's right. that's one thing and that i'm i'm willing to be like that i can see how that makes sense for sure you know um and i've definitely supported it in the past i think i still do support it maybe i need to think about it a little bit because mm-hmm. i've been getting you know a bit more intense about free speech stuff but some somebody like fucking Jordan Peterson or something. I'm like, you can just argue with this person, man. Like yeah, he's not, he's not yeah. very fucking smart, you know. And like most of these right wing <laughs> people, like their their ideas are like kind of fucking incoherent and and at a certain point, like a little bit monstrous. Like they just like don't care about other people. Yeah. Like that's kind of the whole thing about the right, you know. Is yeah, that like, the, the most important yeah. thing is hierarchy and like um, fuck equality and democracy you know and and i think a lot of people are like well actually like equality is important to me, you know um and you can you can argue with these people and the fact that we're like too afraid to argue with them is like embarrassing you know yeah it genuinely is i was i would love to have a chat with with jvp i i <laughs> i think you know he's one of those people who uh wrongfully like he points at the wrong thing but might have the right idea in some respects like uh with the university I I talked about this on like the last pod episode but like there is a sort of problem with administrative overreach in universities that violates say like uh the freedom of professors and students speech yeah and you know he points that out but then he blames the wrong thing right like he blames Marxists which you know there's not that many Marxists no yeah Marxists have nothing to do with any of those but yeah and I think like you know Zizek kind of pointed that out he's like show me the Marxists like where are they which ones (laughs) yeah yeah, for Uh, sure for sure or like his you know his like 12 rules for life or whatever are just like reheated like pop psychology like probably a lot of them are not wrong yeah exactly so i think you know, yeah protesting that is like yeah i i don't understand it um yeah. it's not i don't think it's a yeah i don't think it's of a value um but i do think it's interesting how free speech has kind of like changed uh like who's taken up that mantle of free speech has definitely um shifted but i don't think it's good so i think we should yeah for sure i mean i made a whole fucking podcast about uh (laughs) cancel it or whatever so i definitely like have some thoughts about it but yeah yeah so i wanted to ask about your new podcast because i was reading about it and i was very interested um do you want to sort of explain its uh its history its rationale yeah for sure um so my co-host Clementine Morgan um, was like canceled over the summer for some like deeply stupid stuff. Um, and it, it escalated to like crazy extremes, you know? Um, and like, it, it's kind of funny because she ended up getting, she has like more whatever, like Instagram followers and stuff now than she did when it started. But she also lost like literally like tens of, tens of thousands. She's hemorrhaging them still, right? Like hundreds a day. It's just that more people are like following 
um, than, than her leaving. But uh, on a personal level, it was really devastating for her um, in her like actual IRL life, you know. Um, but it also meant that like people started uh, whatever, like just like making hilarious accusations um, against her, um, often like really weirdly specific things that like didn't actually occur um, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I've experienced the same kind of thing, really not on like even close to as much of a like international level as her because she's like um, like medium famous in like queer world um, and I'm not, but definitely have experienced some stuff like that. Um, and I think like a lot of people on the left who are kind of thoughtful, um, I've been like, this is like such a fucking problem, man. Like it's, it keeps affecting my friend groups over and over and over again. Um, so many people I know have had like brushes with this ranging from like really uncomfortable to like fucking horrifying. Um, people have killed themselves because of it. Um, and often it's like over like really, really absurd things, right? Like it's uh, ideological disagreements, um, accusations of, of, of uh, harm that are like totally overstated. Um, and um, yeah, like rhetorical disagreements, like literally just like which words people use or don't use, that kind of that thing. That drives you know? me insane. That's like one yeah, of yeah, my it's, it's nuts, pet peeves. Um, yeah. and, and of course, yeah. And so I'm an anthropologist, right? I'm interested in this, like why people do the things that they do, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and where that kind of thing is coming from. And so at a certain point, me and Clementine were like walking around a lot, um, just going for lots of walks because it was the pandemic and we're, everyone's locked down and we had nothing to do. Going on lots of walks and just like talking about this a lot. And uh, eventually I was like, we need to start a podcast because like the stuff that we're talking about on these walks is like really like top-notch theory actually, you know? <laughs> um, and so we did. And I had this kind of pet theory that that I developed with Clementine that was, um, that I, I just called it the Nexus because I didn't want to call it the Matrix. Um, and uh, it's just the, the idea that there's this kind of like trifecta of identitarianism, cancel culture, color culture stuff, and um, social media, and and that they produce a kind of like emergent third or emergent like quality like out, out of their combination that that is is more than the sum of its parts, and and I call that the nexus, um, and it's just the idea that like. Um, any of those things, any of those three things in isolation is just whatever, but like when they really like all get together, it, it creates this like really intense uh, fucking vortex that people just fall into and can't get out of, you know, and it's like a fucking black hole because like once you're in there, like you don't encounter information that's that that goes against your worldview. Um, and if you do, there's like this mechanism that the Nexus uses to police its boundaries, which is cancellation, right? Um, right. and, and people who are like within the nexus in any kind of way who express ideas that are contrary to like whatever the current like orthodoxy is are uh, expelled or made to submit really publicly, right? Um, and people see that, they internalize that that can happen to them and it will happen to the, their friends. Um, they're made to internalize the idea that their friends are disposable, um, that everyone is disposable, everyone has like a sin hanging over them. Um, that can be sort of exposed at any time. And when it is exposed, you just have to go along with the, uh, the cancellation. Um, it's all taking place in this like hyper, uh, like this like hyper speed of, of social media and, and has this like crazy reach because of social media as well. And also because of social media, like it's uh, all happening in these like bite-sized like bits that have, um, you know, there's like no, uh, no concept of nuance or sort of like a, a well-developed coherent idea. Um, and it's just this kind of like battle of takes um, 
that that has almost like this evolutionary quality to it where like takes that are kind of more identitarian or more extreme or whatever tend to sort of like replicate better within the the uh, environment of the nexus um, and then succeed and so the takes get more and more sort of like just you see them all the time right yeah and, they and get there's more these sort of like these like wars of takes right i don't know if you've noticed this but like we were just talking about this in the last episode um in like 2014 2015 there was like the great asterisk wars where um <laughs> on the internet we had a war about whether or not to put the, an asterisk after the word trans um and it was decided that we do not do that it is it is very bad to do that uh, okay. many people were, were canceled and, and lost their cred in the great asterisk wars of 2014 but it's back the fucking asterisk is back, you know? And it's really interesting because it means that takes can like come back from the dead, you know? Um, and that one was like dead and buried. Like it was it was really not okay to put an asterisk after the, after the word trans. Um, but yeah, and then, yeah. you know, and then we're talking about like how con- cancel culture like plays out in all of this. And it's like, whatever, just sort of like um, publicly disagreeing with somebody or something is one thing, right? But that's not what, what is going on in the Nexus, right? What's going on in the Nexus is um, someone's view, uh, let's say their opinion is like a, a so-called bad opinion, then that person becomes a bad person. And yeah. all of their friends become bad people. And anyone who doesn't participate in the cancellation is also a bad person. Um, and it's, it's like really weird, violent social phenomenon, you know? Um, yeah. and it has a lot of parallels in like carceral culture and... Um, it, it also is like very, 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 very fucking bad for the left because yeah. at any at any time, anyone can be called out. Like it's literally true, you know? And Amber Ailey Frost has this great quote about it in the beginning of the Kill Normies documentary actually, mm-hmm. um, where she's like, yeah, like, sorry. Like it, if you think that they're not coming for you, you're fucking wrong, man. Like they are coming for you. <laughs> um, and it doesn't yeah. matter your identity. It literally yeah. doesn't matter, you know? It it's like matter. when, when Kai Cheng Tom wrote um that paper about uh or that article about um oh the righteous callings one no it's like if we can find solidarity with turfs right Um, oh okay it was sort of this it was really interesting article um uh, if if we can can find sisterhood with with turfs you know i like catching from a lot too and people called her a fucking turf for writing an article <laughs> and she's like a trans woman of color oh my god you know? yeah like, no I, she's like like she she joked about how she's like the high priestess high priestess yeah. and like kind of thing and yeah, yeah that's um, so that's basically what the podcast is about so we're just trying to trying to theorize the nexus you know and also like have fun while we're doing it mm-hmm. um and also just yeah i don't know be able to shift the uh shift the dialogue dialogue a little bit on, on some of this stuff, you know, and really critique this stuff from from firmly within the left, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And also, like, I think that one thing that's kind of unique about our podcast is um, that we're doing it from, like, within the nexus, too, because, like, mm-hmm. Clementine and I are, like, queer, have, like, been in the queer world for, like, a super long time and, and, and are, like, really within woke world, you know, whereas a lot of the other sort of, like, dirtbag left uh podcasts and stuff that are out there are are by people who were never in it mm, yeah you know what i mean yeah. um, and they're not even speaking to the people who are in it whereas we are mm-hmm. um and we're like we love you you know <laughs> and 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 we want you to be okay and we don't think that you're okay um, <laughs> it's really it's really scary in there and we know yeah. because we were there you know um yeah. and it doesn't have to be like that yeah no i i and another really um I'm 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 sure you might have heard of it, but Mark Fisher has a really great essay 
on the exiting the vampire castle yeah and that to me was like life-changing like I think that was really because I think I was part of a lot of these kinds of circles as well um but I kind of you know got my taste of it uh coming for me at one point um and I was just kind of like okay wow and I think you know similarly I feel like one of the ways that I feel like I can speak to it is that I I do think just coming from my own experience that a lot of people, you know, become a part of these groups because they feel like they need a community and because some of these ideas make things click. Um, So like when I first discovered feminism, I didn't really know anything about it until like a second year university. When I first discovered it, I was like, oh, wow, like this actually like explains a lot of my experiences. And then I was like, yeah, I guess I'm just going to go all in Um, because I didn't have anything to lose from going all in. I was like not in a great place. And this kind of explained it provided a framework that explained my hardships to me. But, you know, when you get involved in feminist groups on campus, then it's like, oh, okay, well, this is just as abusive and toxic as anything else um and you know again it it I guess not not to say that it's an op but it is awfully convenient that this is you know what western feminism has become in the mainstream for a lot of people as as well um and And like in order to successfully combat the far right and the regular right and the center and the fucking liberals, like we need a functional left, and yeah. we don't have a functional left. We have a dysfunctional left, you know. And like, I'm a I'm a feminist, you know. I'm an anti-racist. I believe strongly in in the fundamental equality of human beings, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very clear to me that like the sort of mainstream woke interpretations of these um, these positions are doing more damage than good. Um, and are actively going against the causes that they um, that they espouse, like in in a lot of cases, right? Um, yeah, it just yeah. feels demeaning to like everyone involved. You know, mm-hmm. like it's one of those things where nobody wins. It's uh, just I, the 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 feeling I get so often is I'm just like so embarrassed for everyone. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> But yeah, I genuinely think like it really does feel it it does and like I've said this before, but it feels like everything in society is like a college admissions essay where you're just like all fighting about who has it the hardest and why you're the most deserving for having it the hardest. And these kinds of frameworks provide. Uh, and I, I do think it is a symptom of, of capitalism, partly because we're all competing for resources. Um, but these frameworks kind of provide a way for us to to compete as twisted as it is. Um, yeah, and and it mean, simultaneously provides community. For sure. And I mean, to bring uh, Mark Fisher back into it for a second, his framework of capitalist realism has been really influential on me too, where he's just like, people like literally like cannot even imagine uh, socialism, which is why they don't. Mm -hmm. That's why that's not what they're doing. They're they're imagining, I don't even know what the fuck they're imagining. I guess they're imagining like capitalism, but more, 
more equitably diverse or or whatever um yeah intersectional imperialism is too yeah literally yeah. for sure um well fisher I, I capitalist realism like i i think it is like unambiguously my favorite nonfiction book yeah, um, not just because it's short and sweet but uh because i yeah it's very influential and i think one of the things that he talks about as well uh, part of it's quoting zizek but he talks about how like there's you know room within capitalism for anti-capitalism like capitalism makes a space for like these, for gesturing uh at anti-capitalism and similarly like you so you have you can have all these movements that you think are emancipatory which are really just still part of that uh capitalist system and that they're going like yeah you go girl you resist um while you know like lululemon had an ad being like decolonizing gender with lululemon and it's kind of like uh-huh. Yeah, I know. For sure. <laughs> or even even if you look at like just the role of social media, where like like our politics has just moved onto social media, it, it's completely mediated by social media. It's mediated by corporations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, in an unprecedented way, right? Like so, like and and obviously, like actually, like a, a part of our podcast is called the search for the offline left because we're like where are they like are there people who are organizing like not just like not just posting like on on fucking instagram and i'm like i know that there are but like who are they how do i get in touch with them you know and actually like i i've actually finally gotten involved with some uh, actual socialist organizations in montreal you know and like um i don't know they have a long way to go too let's say um you know but uh it is something i just yeah it's bleak it's bleak out there though man it's very bleak. I and, and people yeah. want people want to participate. People want fucking socialism, man. There's so many young people who are like leftists, man, and and they're 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 sincere. It's not just that they like want to be part of something or that they like uh, got sucked into a cult or or whatever it is, man. Like they actually do believe um, in, in leftist ideals mm-hmm. for sure, 100, percent you know. But they're getting sucked into the fucking vortex of uh, of the nexus and and spinning spinning around in there um and i'm just like we need we need to give people a place to stand yeah it isn't that you know? yeah um, i one question that i also had was about like when you were speaking with these alt-right people in this organization um what were their takes like on capitalism in particular like because I feel like the old conservative view is like very free market ideology but I feel like you know with the alt-right there like there's been a little bit of I I, I don't know if Steve Bannon's considered alt-right or if he's just like a old conservative (laughs) but like he's definitely affiliated what yeah so what is what is like the economic outlook apart from the social yeah um there's a range a range of views for sure um like i said there was these people who are like basically just straight up i'm a racist liberal i want the economy to basically be how it is now mm-hmm. um one thing i noticed i won't say that this is like a a hard 
trend or whatever, but I did notice like somewhat of a trend where the people who were more along those lines tended to be more well off and from like wealthier backgrounds. And then there was some other guys who came from like very fucked up backgrounds, um, very poor, um, a lot of like hardship in their childhoods and stuff. And they tended to be the more uh, like more overly fascist ones who like fascists generally are, are sort of like incoherent economically mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, but definitely had like um, a hostility towards like liberal capitalism. Right, um, yeah. Where the idea that like property rights are the most fundamental form of freedom or that like uh, that a, a capitalist should have power purely on the basis of how much capital they've accumulated. Those ideas are, are um, against fascist ideals, I would say, um, which are very much more along the lines of like, uh, it's really like the strong and wise who should rule, right. you know, um, not grasping uh, materialists or whatever, you know, um, and there's this sort of sense that you can like use capitalism and like harness it, you know, um, right. but that it should always be at the service of the state um, or the service of the race, depending on the fascist, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I would say there's a hostility towards like liberal forms of capitalism on, right. the, on the fascist right, you know, um, okay. that in some cases can look a little bit like socialism um which people have pointed out as this like horseshoe theory thing yeah i mean i don't subscribe to the horseshoe theory yeah idea but i it's it's definitely true that like if you have two different sort of extremist orientations that are opposed to liberalism then there's obviously going to be similarities there right so right yeah yeah i i mean i i do think definitely also that like the economics and rhetoric are different than how they are in practice like there's this whole idea of nazi germany being socialist for instance um and part of the like what people rely on is the rhetoric be of of the nazis being like yeah we're providing for our, our folk or whatever yeah. But if you actually look at what they did, it was all pri- mass privatization when the rest of the world was actually engaging in less privatization. So it was one of the most capitalist uh, states in existence, and it was putting communists uh, in prison. So I, I think there's definitely, um, like, I wonder if, like, a lot of this kind of ideology, this far-right ideology, again, similar to this, like, woke identitarianism um if a lot of it is very aesthetic and uh like it's very based on like an ideal uh rather than committed to any set of material policies that's what it seems like to me yeah i would say that um where they had like material policies that they actually all agreed on more or less was mostly about race um and for practically everything else there was like a wide range of different positions for sure um and they fight about it too you know (laughs) um and there was i mean another big split was between people who were more materialist and people who were like i mean identitarianism aside 
people who were like spiritualists right mm -hmm. and there was a bunch you know there was people who were like very religious there were people who were sort of like uh like occult um uh which was pretty fucking dweeby but uh it's not like we don't have that on the left too <laughs> you know? yeah i mean there's definitely i, I think there's infighting in, in every group I, I have like a vivid memory of going to a historical materialism conference in montreal and uh some people were there was a lot of trotskyists there and they were arguing that lenin was a liberal and uh it was it was just one of the more outrageous points in my life and i just remember thinking like in my political life and i remember thinking like okay like the left is ridiculous and then you hear about this happening on the right too and, and part of it's comforting because i'm like okay well <laughs> oh yeah and and like because people are afraid of the far right which makes sense um they tend to sort of like play up how like scary and organized and stuff they are mm. and there are groups that are more organized than others but like all in all like what i saw when i was hanging out with these guys um was there they they agreed on very little to be honest right um and uh yeah you know there's you know there's this scene that comes to mind where there's this one guy who's quite religious who was sort of like preaching to uh the, the group and he had like bare feet and like long hair and he was sort of like preaching about jesus and like the the like you know various like nazi slogans at the same time and stuff and people were sort of like listen man like you know you can believe what you want to believe but like i'm i'm not a christian and i don't have to be you know and uh you can see how that would how that would automatically cause like a lot of tension you know yeah. fundamentally like very different ways of seeing things like where one person is like we need like a christian white ethno state and another person is being like maybe we should have freedom of religion um you know or if you're like a fucking satanist like how are you going to get along with with like a a nazi like who's like orthodox or something yeah like, yeah no yeah. that's really interesting I, I'm glad that you explained this because I think a lot of people need to kind of understand this kind of diversity that's happening um and so yeah I think that's that's very fascinating um I yeah I I wonder if there's like so like religiously there I would assume there's Christians but like is there like did you meet any like muslim or jewish all right people or is that just too contradictory no absolutely no, not. not there was there was one guy who was uh who was like part jewish um, Interesting. and they really liked having him around because he like was super fucking anti-semitic um Interesting. and okay. so he like fulfilled this weird sort of like identity like identity authority thing affirmative like, action for the all right well no because he, he would be like uh i i know that this is true because i myself am part jewish oh yeah yeah, yeah. um and there was one guy who was like part persian um but he wasn't muslim um and they told me that they had done a dna test on him <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay that's yeah, yeah well <laughs> Yeah, but no, it's like it's Christians. Um, what I saw was like overwhelmingly Catholic or or Orthodox. Um, a lot of them were Eastern European, um, in origin. Um, and then there was like atheists, and then there was like the sort of occult types who were like Satanists or like weird like pagans or whatever. So that I haven't seen Satanist 
all right people that's very fascinating yeah for sure it's definitely a thing there's because there's like there's different um routes of entry into the alt-right mm -hmm. and uh a big one that i saw was like the red pill kind of male supremacist shit like um where, like pickup artists basically turning into nazis right. but um but another one another route was through uh metal actually oh. um like metal music and uh so, so a couple guys in there were uh had gotten them through the metal scene and they tended to be way more affiliated with kind of like Nazi-ish uh, stuff. Right. Um, often they were, or like some of them had been into into um, Satanist stuff um, mm. and had become Christian. Others were like still kind of into occult stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> right, right. Yeah, I guess like something else that I've found is that, you know, with the rise of the alt-right there's been a lot of talk about nazism as well and so it's like sometimes it's hard to for me to like parse like when people are like okay this person is a nazi like what if they mean like they're actually a nazi or if it's like somebody calling jordan peterson a nazi which like to me is just kind of like if they're just a conservative traditionalist you know I, so it's it's interesting to hear like your perspective on on actually experiencing it where you're saying you know some people are more explicit uh, about that and some are less so for um, sure for sure although i will say like again for clarity like the group that i was that i was embedded with there um were explicit white supremacists right right um yeah. violent homophobes anti-semites um all of them right, right so yeah. there was no they weren't like fucking around with right. That, right yeah yeah um so like you know whether or not they're like nazis is basically sort of like to what degree they espouse like actual kind of like fascist ideas right, right um yeah. but like if you're wondering if sort of is is the alt-right actually racists or are they just sort of like traditionalists or whatever uh they're fucking racists yeah yeah um, yeah yeah and like, and like not not nice about it either like you know like some i mean not that it's like you can be like a nice racist but like i think you, you know, can, like a liberal you know there's a lot of right 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 yeah 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 but i mean uh, i i do really mean like a racist racist i don't know how how else to put it you know no yeah you mean like race. explicit like yeah over yeah like believe in race believe in whiteness support whiteness um have loyalty to the white race that kind of that kind of racist you know right right, right. like a supremacist kind of outlook yeah. um yeah I mean that's that's very like interesting because I, I find that like there's been among some liberals like a very zealous use of the term Nazi in a way that's like made people now like question who's who's actually a Nazi who's this who's that um but I think that's why like this kind of work is important because it's important to actually understand like what people believe and you know understand what people's overt belief systems are because it's crazy how you know like you were saying before media does not do a good job of showing the proper picture at oh all. yeah they, they really don't and like leftists um a, a huge number of leftists that i've interacted with or read don't understand what the right wants yeah. and that is 
really fucking weird to me. I'm like, how can you not be interested in that? Like, you, you know, especially when when they're the types of leftists who are just like so like unilaterally like bash the fash, like uh, just like very, very like fuck anyone who's like slightly to the right of me, um, bash the fash as in like my uncle or whatever, you know, um, um, over, over Thanksgiving dinner. Like, like, if you don't actually understand what the fucking right wants, like, I don't know, you're playing. It's, it's you're playing. That's what I think. And yeah. Um, and yeah, so I did want to try to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's important, it's, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, so my last question, and we have to ask you this because you're a musician and we ask all our musician guests this, is that we need to know your thoughts on jazz. My thoughts on jazz? I fucking love jazz. Um, I've recently been getting really into jazz. <laughs> I uh, I feel like I don't have like a jazz mentor to like tell me who is good jazz to listen to. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been just kind of like letting YouTube like take me to weird places and uh, <laughs> and saving stuff that I like. Um, I'm really into dark jazz, which is like I discovered when I was like writing my thesis because it's just like excellent writing music. Um, but have you heard of dark jazz? You know what it is? No, but now I'm intrigued. I want to look into it. Yeah, it's basically like um, the soundtrack to like film noir movies, if you can imagine that kind of jazz, you know? Mm, Um, Very like slow and like kind of, well, it's dark, you know? Um, Yeah. And uh, yeah, slow, dark, echoey, lots of like ambience. um, And uh, sometimes has like some crossover with like kind of doom and like um, atmospheric kind of shit. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, There's this... uh, what are they called? Um, they're called like Boren and Der Club of Gore, which is like a really weird name. Um, but they're uh, they're a good one. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. I my co-host uh, is is not a jazz fan, and I I like it. Uh, but we've had this we we uh, we had a, many episodes ago. Now uh, we have Ben Norton on who. He he makes some really nice jazz music, and uh, we spent the first twenty minutes sort of debating about about jazz. <laughs> so that started a tradition where we now ask musicians uh, what their thoughts are on jazz because just the world's gotta know. Fuck yeah, I love jazz. <laughs> I'm also like one of these people who like I always have music playing in my head, just like right. in the back of my head, just in there, you know. Yeah. And sometimes it just bursts out in, in random ways. I'm like, I'm like an obnoxious like beatboxer. I just like put beatboxing <laughs> to myself, like walking down the street and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the the soundtrack in my head has gotten a lot cooler recently. Another uh, that <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah, uh, thanks for having pleasure. me. Pleasure is very fascinating. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? I guess you plug um, the pod, but yeah. yeah, you should check out our podcast, fucking canceled. Um, you should subscribe to our Patreon if you want to give me money for being problematic. Um, <laughs> you should support your local communists um, if they're cool. Yeah, you know, you got to find yeah. the cool ones though, because it's really very difficult. And if they're not cool, you should start your own socialist yeah. group dedicated to pragmatic pan-socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, believe in yourself. Don't back down. Um, if you think you have a substance abuse problem, you should check out 12 step program and, uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Well, see you guys next week. All right. Take it easy.